It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you sometimes the best things are the worst things. Welcome in. We are live here on this Wednesday. Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks going to join us coming up here in just a few moments. Plus, where did all the money come from? We'll get to that coming up for the end of the show. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. And we are 24 hours away or a little bit more than 24 hours away from the NBA draft. And Hawks fans all over the place are wondering what's going on and what they're going to do and how this is going to go. And I want everybody to take a step back for a minute and really focus on some big picture stuff. And I'll assert this. The Hawks making the Eastern Conference Finals was probably one of the worst things that could have happened to them in the big picture. It was great. The run was awesome. Trey was fantastic. Remember Madison Square Garden? You know, I mean, going to beat the 76ers, pushing the, the Milwaukee Bucks as far as they could go. Like, all those things were great at the moment. They were fun. They were interesting. They put us on a national stage. They get you a Christmas Day game. All those things that happened on that run were fun, and they were great. What they did, though, and this is the secondary and tertiary order of effects of what happens, is that what they did is that they elevated the stature of the Hawks and the expectations to someplace they shouldn't have been yet. And I stress yet. Let's go back and play revisionist history here for a moment. Let's say the Hawks lose to the Knicks. Better yet, they beat the Knicks. And they lose to the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round. Right? Uh, And, you know, we, we look at that playoff run as, okay, that's a step forward. That's a positive step. We're trending in the right direction, right? That's what the narrative is. Got more steps to take. Still got to get better. We're the fifth seed in the East. Still got to get better, right? And you've coupled that with what you saw this year. And you go, okay, not the result we wanted. Struggled during the regular season. Had to fight through injuries. Not as... as uh, not the team that we wanted to be out there every single night. We still got to get better on defense, but they made the playoffs again. Uh, they they won the play-in tournament deal or, you know, got out of the play-in tournament and, uh, and faced the number one seed and got beat. And so you're saying, okay, we're still trending in the right direction. 
But here's what that did. Here's what the Eastern Conference Finals appearance did. Now it's, well, the Hawks had a really bad year. It wasn't a down year. It was it, They didn't meet expectations. They were way below it. Imagine again if you finish in the seventh or eighth seed after the playing tournament deal and you get bounced in the first round. Now all of a sudden we're trending in the wrong direction because the peak went higher, the slope going down looks faster and going lower. I'm not saying that I didn't, I, I wish the Hawks had never made the Eastern Conference Finals. What I'm saying to everybody here is manage your expectations. Go back to understanding this process because the Hawks didn't make the playoffs with Trey Young until last year. And the first time they get there, boom, Easter Conference Finals. So now playoff Trey has to show up. Playoff Trey has to do this. And everybody else has to do that. And it, it was out of place. If you flip-flop the years and you get bounced in the first round, then you go to the Easter Conference Finals. You're like, okay, we're, we're, we are there. We're ready to take a step. Because the problem now we're all trying to solve isn't can the Hawks get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. If you think that's the problem we're trying to solve with the Hawks, you don't understand the problem. The problem we are trying to solve with the Hawks is can they at least finish the regular season as one of the top three or four teams in the East? That's the problem you're trying to solve. Forget the Eastern Conference Finals. In order, they have to be able to be a better regular season team. If you can't solve that problem first, the deep playoff runs are nothing but flukes, and they don't happen often. And eventually, your, your luck runs out. You're just running into too many good teams with too many high-level stars and too many good players. Don't rely on luck. This process, as it's going forward, has got to work. And right now, the Hawks objectively, and I've said this repeatedly, are the sixth-bet team in the East at best with this roster. Now, this is before the draft tomorrow, and this is before free agency, so things will change. But the question is, is, is the move that they're going to make going to definitively make them a top-three team in the East? And if the answer is no, well, then what are you doing the move for? So before you start asking for DeAndre Ayton, before you start asking for uh, Rudy Gobert and everybody else, answer yourself that question. Do any of those players make the Hawks a top three team in the East? And if the answer is no, I would argue it's not the move you need to make at this point in time. Don't get overzealous about where they are in the process because of two weeks in May, two years ago. Well, now a year, a year ago, right? Like, don't do that. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. Because you are changing, you're moving the goalpost, you're changing the expectation level to someplace it shouldn't have been yet. Not saying the Eastern Conference Finals run wasn't fun and it wasn't exciting to watch. It was. But right now, as we stand here, it's fair to say it was more fluky than factual. And, and whatever you want to say of this season and the way it played out and for the reasons it played out the way it did, fine. But objectively, they have now started a downward trend. Eastern Conference Finals, first round exit. Fifth seed, play-in tournament. You started a downward trajectory. Objectively, those are the facts. So if the Hawks want to be aggressive in the draft and that's the way they feel it's the best way to go, and improve this team, not because it makes you a top three team in the East right now, but because in the big picture over the next two to three years, 
You can do X, Y, and Z following this draft and, and figure other pieces out to put you in the top three. Then that's the road they should go down definitively. All right, coming up next, Brad Rowland of Locked On Hawks right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta is going to join us. We'll talk about all this more, plus a crazy GM scenario for my good friend Brad Rowland next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Our next guest, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta network, and you can hear his podcast all the time at Locked on Hawks. Just search Locked on Hawks. Of course, he is Brad Roland joining us here on A to Z. Brad, welcome, brother. Great to talk to you as always, and thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure, sir. Busy time of year for everybody, but here we are. Yeah, um, time of year where everybody concocts uh, crazy trades and ideas on how to make this Hawks team better. Let's start with one thing I said earlier in the week, and it's perplexing to me because I don't understand why – the easiest fix is never being publicly discussed. If it's being discussed behind closed doors, great. But if it's not being publicly discussed, and that's the uh, you know, whole um, tray, you have to start playing defense as the team leader. Like You have to start setting an example. You have to start being the guy who's going to give something defensively. We all know the team has to get better defensively. Why do we give Trey a pass? Because in reality, if I told you a year or two ago – that you could have a guy on your team that could average 25, 30 points a game and play zero defense, your response would have been, oh, James Harden's available? <laughs> so that's exactly like at this point, you know, if he doesn't elevate his defensive play, I don't want to say he's going to definitively be that, but that's what it feels like. Am I wrong? No, it's not wrong. I think that you have to understand what his limitations are on one hand. And at his size, you kind of knew what you were getting on some level defensively. But I'm with you in that uh, he has to be more competitive regularly on defense that is a more it's a very important thing that he has that he has to be he has to not take the easy way out we saw that at different times and there have been stretches where he's been okay and that's all he has to be is okay he doesn't have to be great but setting the tone there would be very helpful um so you know one of the arguments is that maybe if he has more offensive help he won't have to use so much energy on offense he can kind of do that more on defense that's one theory um but i think you're not wrong in that having that baseline be a little bit higher for trey would set a tone for the rest of the team that would help the team be a lot better on defense because they kind of just have to be better on the whole and personnel is part of that, but also having your best player, your team leader be better is uh, certainly part of the solution as well. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't buy the whole, he expends too much energy on offense. <laughs> Trey drops 25 without breaking a sweat. He makes five threes and, and he's three quarters of the way there to a 30 point. Like it just, I don't, to me, that seems like, like you said, it's a theory. It just seems like a little yeah. bit of a pop out. And to your point, I'm not asking him, to be the defensive player of the year. I'm not asking him to make the all-NBA defensive team. I'm asking him just to be average. And average is enough to turn around. Because if you look at the teams that made the Final Four of the NBA, right? Dallas, Golden State, Miami, and Boston, they all play defense. And do you have to play to the level of being the best in the league, top five teams? No, but you can't be 26th. So there, there has to be, if Trey has the ear of the owner, and he can say to Tony Wrestler, I want this guy, I want that guy. This is what I want this team to look like. And Wrestler's going to listen. Wrestler should be able to say, sure, I'll do all those things. Show me you're going to play defense. Yeah, I mean, what you mentioned with those other teams is that none of those other teams that made the Final Four this year have huge weaknesses defensively. They might have one guy that you have to hide a little bit, but Trey is the worst defender on any of those teams. And that maybe, maybe is a little bit of selection bias on one-year sample size, but generally speaking, you don't want to have any glaring 
weak spots for the for the opposition, opposition to sort of attack. And Trey right now is still that, and that makes it easy for the Hawks to get attacked on defense. Yeah, and it just bothers. I'll close on this. It just bothers me that people in our line of work, all the sports media folks in Atlanta, no one is screaming at Trey to play better defense. We've all just accepted that he's going to be bad, and we have to give everything around him to make the team better. But yet, we don't have to look at the star to do star type things, and that's improve their game. Yeah, it's not wrong. I mean, it, it, it's sort of an acceptance phase. I think of what you, even people like us, even even me, I'm guilty of that too. It's like, okay, Trey's going to just be Trey defensively. And I've always asked for him to, him to be even below average. You mentioned average. The Hawks should probably take below <laughs> average from Trey. Because honestly, the below, below average, especially for a point guard, is probably enough. It's just right. you, you can't be way below the below average point, And that's where he usually finds and, himself. Right. You, you can be below average all year long, ramp it up a little bit in the playoffs to make yourself and other guys around you better to help you win playoff series. And that's it. And I just it just irritates me that it feels like, you know, but me, I, I listen to myself more than anybody because <laughs> I talk to myself, but it feels like I'm the only person from in Atlanta sports media screaming, Trey, play better defense. All right, let's get into how they're going to make this team better. You know, Tony Wrestler has said he's looking for a fix, not an overhaul. Um, if it's not an overhaul, you're essentially running it back with 60, 70% of the same players. So... Why would I expect any different results? Yeah, I mean, they, I, I wonder if they're going to rue those comments about the lack of an overhaul because they might make one anyway. And then you kind of mm. look silly that you said yeah. that you didn't want to make one. That's part of that stuff. Is good. It gets overblown. As you, as you know, like the public comments of GMs and owners before the draft don't really mean much of anything. And they, they know that. They're going to say whatever they have to say. But yeah, I think that um, changing over on the margins is doable. And listen, they, at the end of the day, they can, they can bank on – uh, at least in their minds, that they were really good two years ago. And if you sort of work on the margins, that's what you, that, that's sort of a selling point. And you, st- you still have Trey. Um, what you can't do is just run it back in full. And they've kind of said that, they not, they're, that they're not going to do that. And that wasn't going to be a sell to anybody. I, I think no fan was going to be okay with them running it back in full. It, it just depends on what you do on the margins. Because they, they keep saying, we want another guy to pair with Trey on the perimeter as a scorer slash um, creator. And we, we, want, we want more defense. And those two things are really hard to do at the same time. Most guys who are good defenders are not great creators. And if they are, they're superstars that you can't get. So it's like these two, they're not totally opposite paths, but it's hard to find one guy that does both of those things well. And they know that. And maybe that's why they're tied to draft picks that might be able to do it long term. And uh, honestly, the deals they've been talking about are kind of overhaul moves. They're not really on the margins. It's not like just swapping Gallo out for something else. All the stuff that's been rumored are really more overhaul type moves. And that's kind of interesting to me. I want to get to the rumors and some of the names in a second, but I want to start internally, specifically with DeAndre Hunter. He's here, right? Like they're not going to move off of him. Um, I feel like it's just a question of what they're going to pay him or how this is all going to go. So how does the whole DeAndre Hunter situation play out? Yeah, it seems to me that Hunter and Okongwu are the guys who are safe other than Trey, you know, maybe there's a mythical deal for a star that comes along. But aside from something crazy out of left field, I think Hunter and Kong were the guys that are not going to be moved in the near future. But I say all that Hunter was not very good in his third season. And I still like Hunter. I think there's a lot of upside there. But if we're being honest with ourselves, part of it was, was maybe injury related. But in terms of his overall performance as a third year top five, four top five pick forward, he just wasn't very good last season. And that was bad timing for him as his extension negotiations begin now. And also for the Hawks, it's a reminder that they are very tied to DeAndre Hunter, um, both for what they gave up for him in the draft. Um, he's the only guy on the roster that can do what he can do in theory as that two as a big two way four that every team wants. 
and really the Hawks don't have another out. Like if he, if he doesn't pan out, they don't really have another alternative in that spot and they know it. I think that's part of the reason why they're probably going to keep him around is that they can't get fair value for him in a trade right now because teams are wary of his lack of consistency so far in the first three seasons. So I think, um, you know, zooming out of the non-rumor realm, his development in year four for him next year is perhaps the number one storyline on the whole roster, non-transaction division, because if he's the guy that they, that they thought they were drafting, this is a lot better team in a lot of different ways and it's sort of a, a lot easier to build around Trey and whatever else if you already have that 6'8", 2 4 on your roster. Yeah, and don't forget, by the way, that Cam Reddish has been here and gone already from that yep. same draft class. And, and not that I want to give a black eye to Travis Schlenk or anybody else or, you know, and, and say that they it was a huge swing and a miss. They they thought what they did was right at the time. It didn't work out. It's always smart to get off of it, right? This, at this point, if Cam Reddish is still on this roster, I have more questions than I do getting rid of him. Okay, uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, how um, how does it tickle you? I mean, how, how exciting <laughs> It's out there. I, I think I mean, that well, here's the thing. See, I, I I get the idea that look, he's an elite defender. I don't doubt that. The age thing is like, okay, you really do have a very young core. So I'm not necessarily opposed to going to get a, a 30 year old plus guy for the next two or three years to try and see if you can elevate something. The age thing doesn't bother me as much as the contract does, and what Utah is going to want in return for him. Yeah, you mentioned it because Rigo Bear is awesome. I think there's a people don't like Rudy Gobert for whatever reason. And I get it. Whatever else. He's a really, really good basketball player. Because like, he's K-0 in the NBA. Yeah, perhaps why. that was what it was or, or whatever it is. But listen, he's an elite defender. I think he's a good offensive player. Obviously, he's a little bit one-dimensional, but he's got a he's got a lot of gravity at the rim. And I think if you pair him with Trey Young, he would be his best on offense. And in a vacuum, Rudy Gobert might be the best player right now that they can, that they can acquire in any, in any deal that I've heard so far. But you mentioned it. It's the age. It's not a huge selling point for me either, but it's the combination of he's making the Supermax. He's making 40-plus million dollars for four more seasons. And like you said as well, Utah is is reportedly asking for the moon. That's Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge asks for the moon on anything. So you're giving up a lot of of, um, pieces, assets in that trade and also paying him top dollar. And admittedly, I, I don't, I'm not sure that that's going to make you a title contender. Is it going to make you better right now? Yes. Full stop, yes. If you want to make your team as good next year only, if that's all you care about is winning games the regular season next year, Rudy Gobert would do that in a lot of ways. He's yeah. really good. But does, like, he does that raise your ceiling? Than, does he make yeah. you better than the sixth team in the East right now? Because objectively, I, that's where the Hawks are. Yeah, I mean, it might. But does it make you the second team? Probably no. not. That's, that's what I mean. It's more of a, like, if you want to win 50 games next year, if that's, if that's your number one only goal is go out and win 50 games next year, training for Rudy Gobert is a, probably a good way to try to do that. It's just that I'm not sure if that's a title-winning move, and that's if, if that's what you want to do because of the age and the contract. It does kind of limit you long-term, even if, honestly, on paper, him and Trey make a lot of sense together. And, and oh, by the way, you heard it here first, and I want you to say it on Locked on Hawks. <laughs> as soon as the trade happens and you say, hey – I. Zeno told me this on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta. If Rudy Gobert gets traded here, I will bet anybody $100 he does not finish all four of those years of those contracts here in Atlanta. He will be gone before those four years are up. I would I would tend to agree with you. I think it's, yeah. just, it's just so much money. And yeah. in Utah, like, he's a legacy. He was drafted there. Like, there's a lot of great will there. But if you're Atlanta, you're trading for him. And eventually, when he's 32, he's probably not worth the end of that contract. No. And then you're trying, and, and, and they're trying to shed him. So that, that's part of the calculus too. Is like you, you know, when you trade for him, that the very end of that deal is not going to be great. Probably. Do you want me to play crazy GM now, or you want to wait till we're done discussing 
all the Hawks stuff first. So I, I'll, I'll put it at the end. Mark, I'm, I'm here for you. I know. I'll, I'll put it at the end. Other names out there that have been bandied about. DeAndre Ayton, obviously, is the one that everybody loves. I would argue he's a better offensive player than Gobert, but I would argue I don't know that getting DeAndre Ayton does any more than what you just said that Rudy Gobert does in this short year or two window that you know, you're know you operating with. Maybe long-term, when you can put some more pieces around both of them, it does, but DeAndre Ayton doesn't get you, as you said, to top two or three in the East alone. No, I don't think so. The, the argument for Ayton is that he's 23 years old. Yes. He'll be 24 soon, and that's the thing. If you think that Ayton has another leap or two in him, that is the theory behind going to get him, is to pair Trey with a guy who is similar age, same draft class. And if you think Ayton has that, you know, all-star, all-NBA kind of ceiling, that's why you go get that's why you go, you go get him. Because I've kind of said that like right now, today, is he better than Capella? Definitely on offense. De- defensively, Capella's better than Ayton at this moment in time. And I'm not sure how much better on the whole Ayton is than Capella at this very moment. In two years, Ayton will be better. Almost certainly, because of just because of the age. But you have to really, for me anyway, to trade for him and also give him the max because that's that's what he's going to want is the max contract in a sign and trade. To do that, you have to buy that the number one overall pick ceiling is still there for DeAndre Ayton. Not, not necessarily like you know an uber elite first team All NBA guy, but someone who could be a top twenty five guy in the league, something like that. That's that's what you have to believe. And if you're Ayton, maybe maybe he can, maybe he can still do that. I'm not sure, but it's a different calculus. Him and Rudy are the, are the same position. But with Aiton, you're banking on upside that we haven't seen yet. And with Rudy, you're banking on him keeping the level that he's already at for a little bit longer. Any other names out there that interest you, whether it's Jeremy Grant? I mean, heck, even Victor Oladipo might interest me as a, another piece that could be had. But what are some of the other names out there that you've got your eye on? Yeah, I think the Jeremy Grant thing has been out there floating for a while. And he is a two-way forward that everybody wants. The asking price is super high, but if you could yeah. somehow get him without sort of uh, messing up the rest of your core, that would be That's the way to the do thing. it. Right. That's the question is that you keep everybody intact and add Jeremy right. Grant. And they're going to ask for John Collins. And, and personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want the dude. I, I think John Collins is better than Jeremy Grant. That's just my opinion. That's not a unilateral opinion, but I think that's, that's my view of it. And Grant's right. a little bit older and he wants a big contract and that's an interesting guy. Um, honestly, I'm kind of waiting for like the sleeper move that we haven't thought of yet. Like something like, could the Hawks go after him? Miles Bridges in a sign and trade, like one of those like guys that no one's talking about at all. That's more of a home run swing. And then there's like the there's the whole Jade Nyby thing, which has been right. kind of floating out there. The number four overall pick. That's the definition of a home run swing that makes you worse now, like definitively worse in the moment because rookie guards, as you well know, are not usually very good. But that's the move where like we think this guy's gonna be a superstar three years from now to pair with Trey. I don't know. There's not like a, a, one guy screaming at me. There's just a lot of options and everyone keeps reporting this. And I, I'm hearing the same thing. There's just a lot of balls in the air for the Hawks. Like there's six mm-hmm. or seven, eight conversations happening at the same time. And it's a, it's kind of crazy. I, I said this earlier and uh, you know, making the Eastern conference finals last year may have been the worst thing that could have happened to the Hawks development, the big picture, because now there is yep. this rush to get back there. Right. Like in, that, that did not help them in the big picture view uh, all it did was hurt them, accelerate the timetable, and force, you know, an issue to be there that isn't really there. Um, and again, that's why I kind of like the Oladipo move. Like he's so expendable for Miami right now, but I think he's a guy when you give him consistent minutes, really could obviously he's a better defender than uh, anybody in the backcourt that the Hawks have right now. But he he can be a plus guy, especially as a full point guard. And you move Trey over just to you know me spinning my wheels. All right, we we got a couple of uh, minutes left here and. I just want to throw this out there for you because this is how my head works. And I know the money doesn't match up right now, but 
but let's just say in a vacuum, if you really wanted to go crazy, imagine a one-for-one swap Donovan Mitchell for Trey. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting no. to be the Donovan Mitchell no. alongside Trey, which is a, a definitely an idea people have had. No. Uh, I would not want to do that personally. I think I think Trey's better, um, and I think that Trey has. Really? Yeah, I do. I think Trey's. I think better. he's better offensively. I think you're getting a no, more complete. I honestly think Mitchell's pretty bad defensively too. Like he he's, is. He's he's better than Trey because that's like the lowest possible bar to be honest with you. But I think I think Trey's better. <laughs> I really do. Like overall, and I'm, I'm not even making fun. I mean, I think that it was a. It's actually kind of crazy because Mitchell, as a prospect, I covered that draft. He's supposed to be a defensive first player and he just kind of yeah. just stopped playing defense along the way somewhere he's got better tools than trey does defensively but no i w- i wouldn't do that there is that whole idea about trey and donovan playing together but i don't necessarily love that Haw- some hawks fans are like go get donovan alongside trey no, like, there's only one basketball really. yeah, i mean it's, kinda, it, yeah. it's you know it's throwing for lack of a better way to describe it it's like throwing russell westbrook into an offense with lebron you know like there's just one person who's got to be the alpha and the ball handler and and the guy who does everything and that's got to be trey and yeah, uh, I, I and then defensively, that. as we talked about, that would not. Be yeah. you have the worst defensive backcourt <laughs> in the NBA. So I'm glad I threw you a curveball. I'm glad I, I threw you. You're you not good. expecting that. I just, you know, if uh, they wanted to get him out, you know, you could pair Trey and uh, and and Gobert together. Just, you know, on the they, other, they, they love each other famously, <laughs> Mitchell and Gobert. So there you go. <laughs> exactly, Brad Roland, locked on Hawks. You're the best, brother. Thanks for the time. As always, certainly appreciate it, man. Let's do this again soon. Thanks, Mark. All right, take a time out. Come back next and wrap things up here on ADC on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to ADC here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Wrapping things up here on this Wednesday. And boy, oh boy, has it been a raucous 24 hours since Brooks Kepka decided to join the Live Tour. Uh, and my thoughts on it yesterday, I'm not backing off, I'm not changing them. But let me tell you, some of the dialogue that I've had uh, on that, you know, fake universe called Twitter has been just head scratching to me, including with some of my good friends. Um, you know, people like, oh, don't you know where this money comes from? These were 9-11 countries that supported 9-11 hijackers. I'm like, guys, like, I get that. And, and um, if you're telling me that that's the reason to be mad about this. You've been mad for the better part of 20 years now. Folks, the United States has been doing business with Saudi Arabia since September 12, 2001, and has never stopped. Like, I, I get it. And I'm not sitting here talking about 9-11 families and the loss of their loved ones. I'm, an, I'm a New Yorker. That was extremely personal to me. I, I know people who perished in those buildings. So this isn't about that, Okay. If we want to, again, as I say, inject morality in sports, and yet you're worried about doing business with a country that supported 9-11 hijackers, well, the morality then, where does it, as I've always said, where does it stop? I can ignore the basketball's relationship with China. I can ignore the fact that the PGA signed a 20-year deal with China. I can ignore the fact that the NFL employs women beaters, drug abusers, child abusers, dog killers and puts them on a football field without a second thought, and you want golf to be the tipping point for me to start getting a a sense of morality? Like, I don't, that's inconsistent to me. That's, and I'm not an immoral person, but I'm just saying as it pertains to, as I've said, pick your favorite team, whatever it is, I can guarantee you, I can find some moral issues with something that that team has done. Why? Because it's dirty. Professional sports is a dirty business. 
When there's this much money around, same reason why politics is, when there's this much money around, it's all going to be dirty. You can't keep it clean. There's no chastity here, none. So forget all that. I can't put that into the equation because if I do, as somebody who has, uh, you know, take consistency and wants consistency, then I've got to abandon everything else. I just do. That's it. I mean, you know, there's, there's, I have to be consistent in what I believe. At least that that's for me. If you want to pick and choose personally, I'm not going to support live golf, but yet I'll watch every NBA game and, and go buy Nike shoes made in sweatshops and trying to knock yourself out. I'm not going to judge you for it. That's just not me. I'm not going to pick and choose morality. It's not going to be selective for me. So, uh, and oh, by the way, the current regime in Saudi Arabia is not the current regime that was there on 9-11. All that, all those people have moved on. So, uh, make it that what you will. And I'm not saying it excuses it or, or even justifies anything because the human rights record for Saudi Arabia is terrible too. Psst, last time I checked, guys, our human rights record isn't exactly pristine either. So again, I don't even want to get into that whole mess. It's not even worth it. Um, but that's some of the dialogue that was going on yesterday. None of it had anything to do with golf. But lo and behold, what I did say yesterday about the process of the PGA, hmm, it's interesting now that we're hearing reports that the PGA is going to change their pay structure, where they're going to start to have events where everybody gets a check and there's no cuts. And hmm, that's interesting. So, so what you're saying here is that the PGA is going, well, Live Golf does have a point, so maybe we should start doing that too. Where'd all that money come from, PGA? Where'd you find it? You know, your, your, your rainy day fund all of a sudden, oh, here it is. Scrooge McDuck is just wading through it all and, and diving through gold coins. Yes. I mean, give me a break. The money was there all the time. They didn't want to give it to you. This is what I said. This is a forcing function to get the PGA off its ass to do what it's supposed to do. That's why the PGA is the bad guys. No one's ever challenged them, so they'd never change the system. Finally, somebody challenges them, and now you get a little bit of movement. It ain't hard, man. It ain't hard. And if the PGA really wants to prove that they're the best and it's the best tour, then play the live golfers head-to-head. -head. Skins, match game, whatever, set the tournament up. You all make money. You want to prove you got the best golfers? Go put them out there on tour. Hell, Tiger would probably come out for you. Match play, knock yourself out. Tiger only needs one round anyway to be good. The answer is right there. It's very, very simple. And there's no reason not to think that it is. But the PGA wants to be stubborn and they want to be right. They don't want to get it right. The get it right answer is pretty obvious. But they may have burned that bridge already. But don't kid yourself for one second. It's pretty coincidental that the PGA found all this money now that they start to see some of the biggest names and previous major winners all jumping ship and heading to live golf. Think about it, folks. That'll do it for us today here on A to Z. Back tomorrow for a Thursday edition. Can't wait for you guys to join me. Make sure you check out all the shows here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, ATL Day Ones. Don't forget our Braves postcast. You just know Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks, Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons, and everybody here at A to Z. We appreciate you guys watching and listening every single day. You guys have a great day. Don't take a crap from anybody. See ya. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.